Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seat Ministries and evangelist Pat and Karen Jackson. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation. I'm going to talk to you just a few minutes about um, running the race. Running the race, whatever race it is that God has put before you. Um, I'm trying to cut out a whole bunch of stuff here that I want to say and just get right down to it. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says that, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to live the life of faith. It says, let us strip off every weight and every sin which would easily slow us down. Especially the sin that easily tri trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And, um, you know, you've heard a lot of different pastors and pastor's wives, and we're really all similar in so many ways and different in so many ways you know I just listened to Phyllis and I'm like wow I, I've got that in common with her and then I was just like wow I'm just so different and the same thing with um, Karen and Debbie and you know we're we're alike in a lot of ways and we're all so very different but God has called us to run a race I'm not called to run Phyllis's race I'm called to run my race and I think the key to the very end, if I get cut off before I'm finished, what I really want to say at the very end is that what I learned, have learned in these last two years of my life, and I'm going to cry. I think I'm premenopausal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so emotional right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I haven't even got started. I'm already like, <laughs> all right. But what I've learned over these last two years, the hardest two years of my life ever, bar none, the most successful in our ministry and the hardest personally in my life these last two years is that I do not get to choose the race that God has set before me. All I get to do is to choose whether or not I'm going to run or whether I'm going to sit on the couch and do nothing. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about, just running your race, the race that God has set before you. And there's just two things that you have to know about running a race and finishing. One is that you have to start and the second thing is you can't quit. And if you don't quit, I promise you, you will cross the finish line. And you say, Becky, how do you know? How are you so sure? Well, I know because I just, a year and a half ago, completed my first triathlon. And it was the race of my life. And I finished. I crossed the finish line. I remember sitting on a couch years and years and years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago, sitting on a couch, that's key, okay, that's a key phrase, watching the Kona Ironman. Have any of you ever watched that on TV? In, in Hawaii, they do the Ironman, and these men and these women, you know, they show them from the beginnings to the end, and how people sometimes even crawl across the finish line. If you, you, if you um, YouTube that about uh, women crossing the crawling across the finish line of Ironman, you'll see these two ladies that actually crawled I mean, their legs gave out. It's just the funniest kind of sad thing, you know. But, I mean, 
Crazy, crazy. It looks so weird, but their bodies had just totally shut down, but they were determined. And it wasn't even for first or second, third place. I think it was like for fourth or fifth place, kind of crazy thing. But um, people, you know, with all kinds of stories, paraplegics, I mean, you know, just that one story, I don't, I'm sure you've probably seen it, of the father whose son is... Um, cerebral palsy and so he began to do races with his son carrying his son as you swim so he would put him in a little uh kind of like Moses in the you know <laughs> thing and he'd swim with him on pulling his son and then he would hook him up to a bike and he would bike you know an Ironman is like far okay like two and a half miles swim 104 mile bike and then 26-mile run, and then he would run pushing his son, you know, kind of thing. I mean, you know, the stories are incredible. And here was this middle-aged, chubby pastor's wife sitting on the couch watching this, and this crazy, I mean, the craziest thought <laughs> went through my mind. I want to do that. <laughs> okay, it was a real fleeting thought. But it was there. Do you, I mean, really, you've seen those kind of things. The Olympics. How many of you watch the Olympics? And in your heart is this Olympic. You want to be that gymnast. You want to be that sprinter. You want to be that volleyball player, you know, spiking. I mean, I love beach volleyball. I want that long body, you know, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I want to be that person. But as I was watching that, I had this crazy thought, I want to do that. Now, I'm telling you, I had never I didn't even own a pair of tennis shoes, okay? I had never swam. I mean, I knew how to swim, but never more than just in a swimming pool to get a suntan. You know, I didn't know to own tennis shoes. The only running I had done was maybe to the mailbox and back. <laughs> I mean, I am, was not an athlete. I had never played sports. I had never had any kind of, you know, but there was that thought, I want to do that. And that was like 12 years ago. Well, I have a video to show you of a year and a half ago, okay? It's not an Ironman. It's only the Olympic length race, so it's one-fourth of an Ironman. But let's see if we can watch this right here. I'm so proud of it. I'm thinking, what do I have that nobody else who's speaking today? I did a triathlon. <laughs> so can we show that? Are we going to get to show that, do you think? Is it going to work? Sorry about that. I should have watched it first. Oh, I, I could do without it. Maybe we can. It's not on here. It is. It's coming up. It's just it's the one of you. Um, Pre yeah, but it should be on there, huh? It's the one about you thinking about the awakening and then um, at the beginning of the story. Okay. This is what you can, can you go for forward? I don't know. I thought you had it queued up. I'm sorry. It's at the very beginning. I showed it very beginning. Very beginning. Right there. Isn't it the first one? Just yeah. This is the one that they gave me. Just play it. Can you fast forward it? But not skip.
this is the one that they told me to, to put on. Right there. Well, okay. All right. So we don't, ha we don't have it. I thought we had it. I'm sorry. But anyway, it's, I look really cool. I look really muscular and buff, and I swam in this really amazing body uh, suit and ride my bike and run. But a year and a half ago, I actually finished an uh, Olympic-length triathlon, and it's um, basically one mile, outdoor swim, 26-mile bike ride, and a six-mile run, okay? And so... From the place where that crazy thought came through my mind that was impossible. Say impossible. 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 I mean, all of you are saying, yeah, like that's crazy. I mean, I was, I was just like that, you know. I mean, I was just, but there came a process in my life, and I began, I became sick and tired of being who I was. I, be, I got sick of being always wishing I was doing something great for God, you know, great for just in life and everything. And then so I got tired of uh, be feeling bad about myself and being in depression and stuff like that. So I joined Jenny Craig and I bought a pair of tennis shoes. I hired a trainer. I went to the gym and I started this process of getting healthy and losing weight. And I, and I did that. And then I, got, I was starting to run in all these races and I got up to a half a marathon and then I got plantar fasciitis, which is your feet. You can't run on your feet. You can't barely walk. And so then I began to bike and then I began to swim. And so therefore that made me want to do a triathlon. And so here I am years and years later, forgetting about that passion, that desire, that fleeting thought that went through my mind that said, I want to do that, and here I am doing that, doing that impossible thing, doing the thing that even you guys are saying like now, that's crazy. I would never, you know, do that and everything, but I want to share with you some things that God has allowed me to do that like are crazy, that's impossible. But what you have, what you, what I'm learning in this latter years of my life is that all you have to do is start and then don't stop. And if you start something and you keep going forward, no matter what the obstacles come your way, no matter how much pain it is, no matter how lonely it might seem, no matter how much opposition, if you don't stop sooner or later, there is a fruition to it. It might not be an Iron Man, okay? So I haven't done my Iron Man, but I, okay, I'm here to declare before I turn 60, I'm gonna do an Iron Man. All right. My next goal, my next goal is to do a half an Ironman. Okay, and that's twice of what I did before. But before I turn, and we'll see if it comes to pass or not. But what could, what will it hurt for me to have a goal that seems outrageous and seems impossible? I like having impossible goals now because I'm learning that it's the greatest feeling. The greatest feeling is to accomplish something that seemed at one time impossible. You know, and I love that. I am just made to do that. And so I just um. This is how the awakening begins. Something says to you, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm tired of blaming Jim for my unhappiness. I'm tired of blaming the church people. I'm tired of blaming my kids. I'm tired of blaming my father or my mother for the situation that I find myself in. I am sick and tired of this, and I don't want to live this way anymore. And so that's what it takes for a drastic change in your life. And I have to tell you, assessment is painful. It's not pleasant, but it's where you have to start. When you take assessment, when I had to say, okay, I am 30 pounds overweight, I am lazy, I am a person who starts things and I never finish them. When I had to assess my life and take it into account and be honest with myself, it was very, very painful. 
but it was the beginning. And so I told you, I bought a pair of tennis shoes. I joined the gym. You know, there was like no turning back. You know, this is, uh, this, it's about a cause. That's what I've learned. It's about having a cause. First Samuel chapter 17, you know the story. It's about David and Goliath, right? And you've heard so many sermons on this. And the Goliath, the, Goliath, the giant Philistines taunting the army of Israel and every day. And here comes young David to bring food to his brothers. And, you know, he's like, David's hearing this. And he's like, why are they not doing something against this giant Philistine who's bringing reproach on my God, my Lord? I mean, do you see anything in this world that makes you that kind of mad, you know, to where you're like, why are you not doing something? Why are you not doing something to rescue these foster kids? 600,000 foster children in America, 300,000 churches in America. All it would take is for every church to adopt two children. We would no longer have the foster system. Do you know that out of all the kids who age out of foster system, that means they turn 18 and they have not had a family adopt them or come alongside them, that out of all of those kids who age out of foster system, 70, 70% of them within five years will be homeless, unemployed, or in prison, or pregnant in prostitution. Is there not a cause? That's what David said as his brothers were saying, who do you think you are? And David rose up, this young boy, and he's like, is there not a cause? I'm telling you, there has to be some compassion and some passion. There has to be a cause for us to arise and do things that seem impossible. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're not going to just run a marathon until you see a cause for it. For me, my cause to do uh, my triathlon was I, I, ran, I trained with team and training, and we were raising money for children who got leukemia, who got cancer, blood disease. But really in my heart, I was running for my mom who died of Alzheimer's. When my mom was just shriveling up, when she was becoming just an empty shell of a person, as I was watching her disappear before my very eyes, being kicked out of every nursing home, going, being taken by ambulance to the psychiatric ward, having to visit my mom in a psychiatric ward, her not knowing why, who she was or what she was doing there. You know, there arose within me like, I have to do something to stop this. There has to be a cause. You know, you have to get something so mad at seeing the injustices of life that you are willing to lay it all on the side and get up every morning at 5 o'clock and go down to Joe Pool Lake and put on my wetsuit and get out there and swim and swim and swim. I hated it. I, if I had time, I'd tell you how hard that was for me. But because there was such a drive in me to do something, to make a statement, to do something to say, this is wrong, it's not right, is there anything I could do to make a change? That's what rose up within me and caused me to do what it took to accomplish a triathlon. And it, and it really was the six months of the most excruciating pain, lonely times, you know, discipline. I was not up until that point a disciplined person. I never finished anything I started. You know, but there was all of a sudden a cause, a purpose, you know, and I had given my word and I was going to follow through. And, 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 you know, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, after we read verse 1, it says that there are other people who had a cause. This is what a cause is. I have down here, this is what makes you start a cause, a vision of life better than it is. 
an expectation that things can change for the good. Hebrews 12 tells us that Noah had a cause, the salvation of his family. It says that Abraham had a cause. It says that Abraham had a cause, a city with eternal foundation, a city designed and built by God. It says that Sarah had a cause, the promise of a son, even though she was barren and old. It says that Moses had a cause, the deliverance of a people. It says that Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, it says by faith, the Bible says by faith, these men and women overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice. It says that they received what God had promised them. It says that they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, they escaped death by the edge of the sword. It says that their weakness was turned to strength. It says that they became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. It says even others, they were tortured, refusing to turn from God. It says they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. It says that they were too good for this world. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. It says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the Bible says, let us do the same. Okay, I just have to ask you, even as I was quoting that chapter, is there anything in you? Is there a voice, this crazy voice that comes into your heart and into your soul that says, I want to do that. I want to overthrow kingdoms of injustice. I want to become strong even in my weaknesses. I want to come against armies. I'm telling you, there are some injustices in the land. The enemy is destroying this generation of young people. There has to be somebody who says, I care. I care. And whatever I can do to stop it, I will stop it. I know that running a race, that competing in a triathlon was not going to raise my mom up from Alzheimer's. I know that because I did that. But do you understand there was a drive that I had to do something? I had to do something. I don't know what the answer is to all the problems. But all I know is that I have to get involved. I have to ask God, what is it that I can do to make a difference either here now or later on in the next generation? I don't know. And so we see that what you have to do is you have to start. I want to do that. The second thing after you start is that you cannot stop. Don't stop. And you know there's nothing like a big failure to make you want to stop. This is kind of interesting because um, I found this as I was traveling, the um, Wall Street Journal, and it says, it's talking about uh, the New York City Marathon, 45,000 people will compete in the, I'm running my first marathon, the Disney Marathon in January, so that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. But it says here at the title, Who Quits Before Race Day? Out of the 45,000, 15,000 will not even show up after they've registered for the race. Wow, yeah. Don't stop. There were so many things that took place during those six months that made me want to stop. Fatigue, my body was, I mean, just exhaustion. I was in bed by eight every night. 
I'm serious, man. I was in bed so early because I had to get up early in the morning. My body, I was just pushing my body. Loneliness. I'm telling you, I was doing this all by my, I was meeting with a group of people in North Dallas that I didn't know, not from the church or no believers, but I had to leave Jim. It was just me and Jim, and I left him every Thursday night, every Saturday morning, every Sunday before second service was even over. I had to get in my car and go to North Dallas to meet with my team to swim in the pool or to ride my bike or something like that. Distractions. I visited my boys. My son lived in Philadelphia. My other son lived in New Jersey when I, during my training. And while I'm visiting them, I only had a few days with them, but I had to find a swimming pool to keep on practicing. I didn't want to do that. Do you understand? There was distractions. There was excuses. They were good excuses, but I could not stop because I had made a commitment. There was failure. If I had time, I would tell you about the huge swimming expedition. Exp- uh, gosh, when the first open water swim that I went to, I had a huge panic attack. I went, Jim happened to be there with me. Uh, the only time he ever went to any of my re- practices. I mean, I was screaming out of, the, I mean, yelling at the top of, I have a loud voice, yelling at the top of my lungs, running out of the water, stripping off my wetsuit. And Jim's just like, you know, he's, everybody, everybody, my whole team, they're all freaking out. Like, what's wrong with this lady? But this panic attack. And I was just like, I'm a failure. I can't do it. I've told everybody I'm going to do it. I've raised all these money. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't, you know, and yet the next morning he woke me up. He says, Becky, we're going back out to the lake. Get your wetsuit. Let's go, you know, and I didn't want to because of failure, but he made me, and so I did it, you know, and I got out there, and I was able to swim because I could touch the bottom there at this lake here, you know, and, and so I was able to overcome. Do you understand the feeling of victory? of overcoming your past failures, of not getting stuck in your past failures and to keep going. A couple days, uh, the week before the race, I went to uh, Mexico with my husband, Cindy Jacobs, Mike Jacobs, and some other people, and we got to meet with the president of Mexico. It was pretty amazing, but I got parasites while I was there, so two days before the race, a day and a half before the race, I'm in Austin, ready for the race. I'm in the hotel room, and I'm telling you, I got violently ill. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm crawling to the bathroom. I laid on that bathroom floor for a day and a half in that hotel room. Diarrhea, vomiting, it was just the most horrible thing. I had no depletion. The days leading up to a race, you're supposed to be carbing. You're supposed to be filling up with a lot of carbs and stuff to get your energy. I started that race with my wetsuit, going to every porta potty, you know, and when I walk out, I'm like, don't go in there. Because <laughs> there'd be long lines, you know, before the I'm like, don't go in there. There's no toilet paper. Don't go in there, you know, because I would just kind of, you know, I was a mess. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this, you know. So there's a lot of things, attack, actual satanic attacks in your lives, you know. Well, whatever it is that would make you want to stop, Satan will throw that at you, people. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Not just in, a, just in a physical race, but I'm talking in the race of life, in the race of ministry, of the race. Satan will, knows your weakest points, and he will try to keep you from finishing. But all I have to do is tell you not to stop. It says, uh, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. Sometimes you'll be lonely. Sometimes you'll be so fatigued and tired. There's going to be a lot of distractions, and there's going to be a lot of failures. But I've come to ask you, to tell you, to keep going, to endure. When you fail, you start over. You get up the next morning, and you put on your wetsuit, and you go back out there, and you try again. Because you know what? What I've learned is his mercies are new every morning. 
in the darkest hours of my life these past couple years. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I would get up and I would sit in my kitchen chair looking outside just waiting for the sun to rise because I knew that when the sun came up, it'd be better another day, you know. And what I've learned is that he is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. And the way we do that is we keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, and he perfects our faith, our race. Amen. Jesus makes the race worth it. Jesus makes the race worth it. I'm done. I'm, I'm out of time, but I just have to tell you two stories. Can, do I, can I do that? Many, several years ago, um, we were, when we came to Trinity, um, it was a it was a great church. It always is always has been a great church, but the founding pastor um, was the only pastor before us. There's only been two pastors, the first pastor and us. And he, it was found out that he had had a homosexual relationship with the uh, business administrator. We're not sure how long. Uh, the business administrator said eight years that they had had a sexual relationship going on while he was pastoring her. I don't know, but um, when we came, you know, the people were devastated. I mean, it had been a great church and. And they were just devastated. And people left by the masses, by the hundreds, by the hundreds. And um, you know, it was just really hard. Uh, you know, everybody's got their war horror stories, war stories, and everything. Um, I forget what I was trying, what I was going to say about that. Let me think if I can remember what I was going to say about that. Oh, so anyway, we worked. I mean, it just took like seven or eight years here when we were just still trying to heal the wound, you know, just take care of people, you know, who were so distressed. They didn't trust us. I mean, all we wanted to do is come in and pastor and love the people, but they just didn't want us to be their pastor, and I was just devastated, you know. So it took a long time for that to heal. And then things got to get better. And then God began to just really show up in awesome ways. And then we get the opportunity to build a new sanctuary, you know. I mean, up until just four years ago, we were in the Children's Center. You know, we've only been in this sanctuary for about four years. And um, about that time, Jim was meeting with the mayor and the city manager about some things. And he heard God speak to him in an audible voice. And God said, I want you to resign Trinity Church. And Jim's just like, Seriously, now? I mean, I was begging you to let me resign for years, you know, and you wouldn't let me go now that things are going good. And, Jesus, and God spoke to him and says, I want you to resign pastoring Trinity Church, and I want you to pastor the city of Cedar Hill. I want you to become the pastor of your city, not the pastor of your church. And I'm telling you, when that happened, it changed everything the way we do ministry. No longer were we concerned about people coming and going from our church. We were concerned about all the churches. We wanted every church to succeed. We were so, when we got really bad service, at a restaurant, you know, instead of saying, I'm never going to go back there, we would give double tip, you know, and triple tip, and we would go to the manager, how can we help you? Pastor Lisa, we would go to stores, and we would begin to say, okay, everybody spend your money in these stores that are really struggling, you know, and we cared about our city, we didn't want businesses to leave, and we began to care about our city, and things began to happen, businesses began to come into our city, but there was one area of our city that was really bad. And we kept losing businesses. We kept losing industries to come in. They would come in, say they were going to come to Cedar Hill. Our leaders would woo them. And then when they would find out about our school systems, they would say, we're not going to go there. Our people don't want to come there. They don't want their kids in, in your school. So they go to North Dallas. 
And so uh, we knew that the schools was really the stronghold of the enemy here in our city. And so we began to pray over the schools. And I, because I was running, I began to run around the high school and the junior high of our city and began to just ask the Lord to give us our schools, to give us a revival, to pour out a spirit on our sons and daughters of our school. And during that time, the man who's over Fellowship of Christian Athlete, Danny Noah, he came to me and he says, Becky, he's like, um, is he related to you, Danny? He's a cousin. So he was attending here just in between his ministry opportunities. And he's like, Pastor Becky, he's like, I know you have a uh, heart for your city. And I have some coaches, women coaches, who would like a Bible study. Would you be willing to do a Bible study for these women? I'm like, you know, that's not really my comfort zone. But because I've been praying over this, I will be obedient. I will do that. And so he gave me some good old Baptist Bible study material that they use there, you know, and, and so I got my lesson all ready, and I met at a coffee shop. He was going to, you know, get everybody to come, and the first week, it was just me and Danny. Nobody showed up, and the second week, we have a Christian school here, so I went to Brandy, the girls' basketball coach, and I'm just like, we pay your salary. You're going with me to this Bible study, <laughs> and she showed up, and no other, but nobody else showed up, just me and her, and the third week, she wouldn't even come back. She's like, you can't make me. I'm not going to go. <laughs> nobody showed up, just me, and then the fourth week, I showed up, and one of the coaches came. And from that point on, for four years now, I have been going in every week to teach a Bible study to three women. And, you know, I kind of thought, well, it's going to be like Joyce Myers. I'm going to start out with just three women. It's going to end up 300, you know, 300 coaches. No, it's just still after four years, just still three women. But through that period of time, God has opened up incredible doors. Pastor Lisa's kind of stepped in and helped me. But this past Monday, long story short, okay, this past Monday, we were able to take some incredible curriculum that we found through sitting next to somebody at Hillsong Conference in Australia who was in the public schools in East St. Louis. They moved here two weeks ago. And this past Monday, we were in 22 classes of this junior high across the street and, and 20 classes at the high school today. Uh, today for the first time. God is giving us our schools. Do you understand? Four years. Uh, I remember one day I was just like, I'm not making a difference. I don't want to do this. I don't ever, I mean, this is, this is a person who never finishes what she starts, okay? Like, I start things, and then I pass them on to somebody. This is four years going in every Wednesday to meet with these coaches. And I remember two years ago, standing outside the door. It was locked, waiting for them to unlock the door. And I'm calling Pastor Tim, our associate pastor, and this is, this is what I said. I'm like, Pastor Tim. He's like, yes, Pastor Becky. I'm like, what are you guys planning on doing with these public schools? I am 55 years old. Why am I going into these public schools? What are your plans for these kids for these public schools? And he's like, well, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, you, know we, you know, we're in transition. We're really not prepared. I don't have, I, and I'm like, why don't you know? Why don't you have a plan? Why don't you care? Why don't you have a passion for these kids in these public schools? I mean, I'm just yelling at them. I'm so like, I don't want to do this anymore, God. But you know what? It was my race to run. It was my race. It was the race that God had set me up to carry that and to use to make a way. And so, you know, I sat next to Jeremiah Jacob at Hillsong Conference. I met the man who was going to bring in the curriculum here and change. Do you understand? It was my race. I had to run the race. And other people have come alongside to help me. And the same thing with Hope Mansion. I am out of time. I don't get to tell you. But, boy, I'm telling you, I had such a passion for these girls as we were making marches for, against Planned Parenthood 
you know, no abortion, you know, no abortion, vote against abortion, you know, and, and standing all this awe of God. The conviction of God came over me and Jim together as we were in Houston marching against abortion. And he's like, what, what are these girls who choose to keep their babies going to do? Well, I don't know. That's not my problem. No abortion. No abortion, you know. And then God, through just an incredible thing, after many years, has allowed us to open up this incredible home down the street here that will house 18 girls if they, uh, in crisis pregnancy who choose to keep their baby. It's been the most crazy, impossible two years. We have had over 600 pastors come through that place, and up until this point, we still only have 10 people who have committed to give a monthly pledge to Hope Mansion. It's just crazy the hard, hard, how hard it is to raise money for something that's such a worthy cause. But you know what? We determined not to quit. We were going to keep going. We were going to keep doing it. And Thursday night, over 1,000 people were able to go through Hope Mansion and see it because God is faithful to his promises. If you start because there is a worthy cause and you have some kind of compassion and some kind of passion towards something and you don't quit, it might take five years. It might take 50 years. You might not even see it. The Bible says that some never got to see the promises of God. That You know, they never got to see it. They had to pass it on to the next legacy. But they're up there cheering for us to go, go, go. And I'm telling you, as long as I have breath in my body, I am going to do everything I can to make a difference for people who are hurting and who need Jesus and who need a cup of cold water, amen? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of causes. There are so many hurting people out there, and God's called us to make a difference to the world, amen? amen? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the race. It's changed my life, Lord. It's changed my life. And it's changing the lives of so many people. I thank you, Lord, that you have the answer for these foster children. You have the answer that they would have homes, Lord Jesus. They would have families. We thank you. We, you have an answer for this growing population of single moms, Lord, and homeless single moms. And you have the answer for girls in prostitution and sex trafficking. And you are the answer, Lord Jesus, for those who are finding themselves pregnant without a husband, Lord. You are the answer for those who are caught up in drug addiction and sex addiction and homosexuality. God, you, you, Lord, are the answer, Father God. And we just trust you to lay upon our heart and our soul the race that we're supposed to, to run, Lord, the cause that we're supposed to carry, the, it, the, the, the young people, the people that we're supposed to intercede for and stand before heaven and hell, before evil and good, and declare good upon a group of people, Lord Jesus, and that you will give us the strategies. You will give us, Lord, the way to make a difference. I just pray, Father God, just an anointing on these ladies to make a difference, that there would be, Lord, such a, an arise of injustice that would come up within us, Lord Jesus, that it would cause us to get up off the couch and to put on our tennis shoes and to be begin the race, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the calling of God on our lives, that we get to make a difference. We get to be world changers, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information 
or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seat Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.